my friends in Christ, put yourselves in the shoes of those two downhearted disciples of Jesus who decided late on that first Easter day that it was time to get out of Jerusalem and, and to head for home, that there was no point for them to stay there any longer. Jerusalem, after all, was, was a big, impersonal place, intimidating to small-town people like them. It had had one drawing card for them, only one, their friend, this dynamic, spellbinding, courageous, compassionate teacher, this, this wonder worker from Galilee, who had raised their hopes so high. They had allowed themselves to hope and to dream that the long-awaited Messiah had finally come, and that Israel would at last be set free. Those hopes and dreams had now been dashed to bits in a cruel and conclusive way three days earlier on the hill of Calvary. The final curtain had dropped. Now it was time to go home, to put Jerusalem behind. It was also time to put behind all those foolish hopes. Nothing had changed. Nothing ever would. We had hoped, they found themselves saying. Are there any more pathetic words in all the scriptures? We had hoped. We shouldn't find it difficult to identify with those two disciples. Don't we at times find ourselves among those who had hoped? Among the ranks of the downhearted, the disillusioned? Don't we spend a good deal of our time and energy looking over our shoulders at what was or what might have been? And is it surprising that we should? So much of what happens in our lives and in our world prompts us to think this way. Think back, if you will, for a moment to Easter time of last year. I know after all that has happened these last months, Easter last year might have been a century ago. But if you can, if you can think back for just a moment. What were your hopes a year ago? at Easter time? What were your hopes for yourselves, for your families, your hopes for our world, your hopes for our church? How many of those hopes have been realized? Are you happier than you were back then? Holier? More generous? More loving? What about your family? Is your family more closely knit more caring, more loving, more supportive? After this lengthy lockdown, I suspect the answer to that could go either way. Although many of you have told me how much you have appreciated having family time more than usual, but maybe not all of you. And then, then what of our world? This pandemic is one thing, one truly frightening thing, but there's more, far more. Think of the appalling levels of poverty around the world. Think of the millions forced to flee their homelands because of violence and inhuman living conditions, only to come up against walls of, of exclusion and indifference. Think, too, of the never-ending wars being waged. 
Think of the callous disregard for each and every human life, beginning with life in the womb. And then think of the devastating things we continue to do to this planet of ours. And then there's our church. There's joy and hope in this local church with our new archbishop. Joy and hope too in, in the inspired leadership of Pope Francis. But that joy and hope are not universal because Pope Francis not only has his critics, he has some real opposition to just about everything he stands for. So my friends, it's not hard to align ourselves with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus to number ourselves among those who had hoped. But the story of those two disciples who walked with Jesus without knowing it was Jesus is meant to lead us away from such hopelessness. It's a story that takes us right where we are, in the midst of our journey of life, with more than its share of fears and failings, more than its share of detours and, and disappointments, a journey that never lets us see around the next bend, the road. But my friends, it is a journey that we make in some pretty remarkable company. Jesus is our unexpected and often unrecognized companion on the journey. He walks along with us as he did with those two downhearted disciples. He questions us as he did them, and sometimes he gently chides us. Often he hides his face from us, and we're sure that he has left us for good. But through it all, he teaches us, good master that he is, teaches us to look deeper, to go deeper, to find the place where trust lives, to detect in the seeming disconnected dots of our days a pattern, a storyline that, no matter how troubling or tragic at times, moves toward the light. And so we begin to see old things in new ways, to view hopeless situations as untried opportunities, enemies as potential friends. And most wonderful of all, as evening draws near and the light begins to dim and fade, he accepts our invitation to come in and stay with us, to sit with us at table, to share with us whatever it is we put before him, the bread of our sorrow, the wine of our joy. And then our eyes begin to open and we get it. We come to recognize the hidden yet constant companion of our journey who is always with us, but never more so than we take the bread and break it in his memory, break it right in the midst of our broken lives, our broken world. Dear friends in Christ, we gather on this third of the Easter Sundays only too aware of who we are. We believe, yes, but we question and we doubt. We hope, but all too quickly, quickly we can lose hope. We love, but not very well. We lose our way so very quickly, but we must never lose heart. We must not. As we join today, even if it's only virtually around the Lord's table to celebrate the Eucharist, we must allow our tired and cynical eyes 
to open up our hearts, our broken hearts, to be healed. If we do, my friends, and when we do, we will come to see him and know him and love him as never before in the breaking of the bread.